As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Adjusted for inflation, the U.S. has now spent more money fighting the economic fallout of the coronavirus than it spent fighting both world wars combined. Unsurprisingly, this has caused some distortions in the economy that may come back to bite us in the future. In fact, there is something very concerning taking place in the global economy at this moment. Now, I know that might be a phrase that you're sick of hearing, especially in these last 18 months, but this may genuinely be one of the defining issues of the next two decades, and nobody's really talking about it. And what is this issue? In essence, the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States, as well as a selection of other central banks from around the world, are being forced to take back all of the cash that they have been busy printing to fund stimulus efforts. The Fed's reverse repos recently spiked to $1 trillion, which effectively undid over eight months of quantitative easing efforts. Now, if you're not sure what all of this means, fear not. We're going to explain it all in this video because it's genuinely important that everyone has at least a general understanding of what's going on here. If you do understand it and think that taking cash out of circulation is a good thing right now, especially in light of fears about hyperinflation, well, maybe you might be right. But if that was the case, this would be at best a temporary solution or at worst, something that will mask the problem only to make it much worse later on. But to be able to draw your own conclusions on this matter, you're going to need to understand a few things. So, what are these Fed Reserve repos that have economists so concerned? Why are people saying this could ease the risk of hyperinflation? And finally, why might this phenomenon make everything, including inflation, worse in the long term? Before we get into this video, first, a huge announcement. After many months of work and too many cans of Red Bull to count, I'm excited to finally let you guys know that I just published a 12-minute course on Skillshare. The name of the course, drumroll please, How Not to Suck at Speaking Aussie. Rather than tell you about how awesome this course is, here's a quick clip so you can see for yourself. If you say to an Aussie, that's not a knife, or throw another shrimp on the barbie, you'll instantly out yourself as an imposter. Even worse, you'll probably get yourself thrown out of your friend's backyard barbecue. Heck, maybe thrown off the island. Unfortunately, the same general rule applies to pretty much everything else you've seen depicted in popular culture. Even our national treasure, an absolute legend Steve Irwin, probably led you a bit astray because crikey is an expression that very few Australians ever actually say. Master the Australian accent and impress your mates at your next Barbie by being one of the first 1,000 viewers to sign up for Skillshare using the link in the video description below. Upon signing up, you'll receive a completely free trial of Skillshare Premium, which will give you instant and unlimited access to not only my course, but thousands of other courses too. After your trial, it's just 10 bucks a month with an annual plan. The link is in the video description below. Okay, so repos or repurchase agreements are simply a financial instrument that is a secured very short-term loan, sometimes as short as a day or two. For example, if a company pays all of its employees on the 15th of the month, but they just purchased a huge new piece of equipment on the 13th, they may be in a position where they don't have enough cash on hand to pay their employees. 
Now, instead of delaying people's paychecks or going through the lengthy process of applying for a business loan, the company simply calls up their bank and agrees to sell this shiny new piece of equipment to the bank itself. Say this piece of equipment was worth $1 million. The bank would likely only buy it under such an agreement for $500,000, but written into the terms of this contract would be the requirement for the bank to sell this machine back to them for, say, $501,000 at the end of the month. Normally during this time, the company will also be allowed to keep on using this big fancy machine as well. This is a great deal all around. The company got access to the cash flow it needed to pay its staff for a very low effective interest rate, and the bank had an extremely secure position because even if the company didn't end up buying back the machine, which they would be very silly not to do, well, the bank could just sell this machine, easily making its money back because remember, it technically owns it. This sale, with the agreement to repurchase at a later date, is how these financial instruments get their name. Financiers are a creative bunch, just not when it comes to naming things. Now, regular banks and central banks effectively do something very similar every single day. If a regular bank is running low on cash, they can enter into a repurchase agreement with the Federal Reserve. This normally involves them selling very low-risk assets like treasury bills in exchange for cash at a very low interest rate, what is known as, well, the cash rate. This is there to ensure that banks can lend out more and more money without the risk of running out of cash if lots of people decide to withdraw their funds in a given day. Not having money on hand to honour withdrawals is bad news. It would cause a run on the banks. So, deposit-taking institutions and the Fed take this responsibility very seriously. Okay, this is great, but repos aren't even what we're interested in here. The problem at the moment is actually with reverse repos, which again, as the name would suggest, is exactly the opposite. In the same way that you can deposit money into your bank account for safekeeping, your bank can keep money with the Fed for safekeeping through these reverse repos. In this kind of deal, the bank will purchase assets from the Fed for cash, with the agreement that the Fed will buy back the bills the next day for a slightly higher price. And I do mean very slightly higher. If JP Morgan, let's say, bought a billion dollars worth of assets from the Fed, they would only be able to sell it back for a $5,000 premium, which to you or I might sound pretty good for one day, but for a billion dollars, it's pretty terrible. Now, the fact that both Fed Repo, where the private banks sell their assets and get given cash, and Reverse Repo, where the Fed sells assets and gets given cash, happen on one-day terms, is why you've likely heard the term overnight cash rate. This is what the Reserve Bank actually changes when it changes interest rates. That is, the premium that it receives or gives on these repurchase agreements. Alright, so now we understand what actually goes on under the hood at the Fed, it's time to learn why this spike in cash going back to the Fed is causing concern. The coronavirus pandemic caused a lot of economic uncertainty. Businesses were closed, people were out of work, companies couldn't operate. I mean, you know the drill, you were there. In response to this economic downturn, the Federal Reserve lowered its overnight cash rates from a 2.5% effective annual rate down to a 0.05% annual rate. This is the same thing they did after the crash of 2008, and pretty much every other economic downturn for the past five decades. The hope here was that this would encourage banks to lend more money because they could load up on cash at cheap rates and pass this along to consumers. It also simultaneously acted as a deterrent for banks to park piles of cash with the Fed, because as we saw earlier, they wouldn't get much money for doing so. In fact, given our example from earlier, 
If JP was to deposit that same $1 billion overnight in mid-2019, they would have received close to $70,000 in repo premiums, which is not bad. Anyway, the ultimate hope of this carrot and stick approach is that more money gets out into the economy for people to spend, counteracting the effects of the recession in the first place. This is in essence counter-cyclical monetary policy. The problem is right now, it's not really working. You see, a lot of money has been created recently to fund the various stimulus efforts that went into fighting the coronavirus. Everything from the Paycheck Protection Program to those $1400 checks was paid for with nice fresh piles of new money. But despite the usual imagery, almost none of that money was kept as cash, but rather it's kept digitally in people's bank accounts. Now, normally banks would take this money and loan it out or invest it, that's how they make their profits, but they're kind of limited on how they can do that right now. They don't really want to write residential home loans that will last for 30 years at record low interest rates, business loans are a bit hit and miss right now, and even credit card usage is falling fast thanks in part to competition from zero interest buy now pay later companies, and also from a new wave of educated consumer who doesn't feel like paying 20% interest on their spending. What's more is that a lot of banks are afraid to invest into the stock market while it's so hot. Remember, it's not actually their money to speculate with, so they do try to remain relatively conservative with their investments. So, banks are holding on to piles of cash on behalf of a nation of businesses and individuals that have been the recipient of the largest stimulus effort in history. But okay, maybe this isn't awesome for the quarterly profits of financial institutions, but it still doesn't sound that bad, right? Well, it might, for two reasons. For starters, it shows that the overall confidence level of participants in the economy is very low. Everyone from working class individuals to the largest banks in the country are hoarding as much cash as they possibly can, just in case. Just in case they lose their job, just in case their business is forced to close again, or just in case there are better investment opportunities that present themselves in the future. Now, this increased savings rate is not so much a problem in and of itself, rather it's just a warning sign that people might not be 100% confident in the future right now. What could be a problem is that this much money sloshing around fundamentally limits some of the control over the economy. This all has to do with something that economists refer to as the velocity of money. When we made our video on hyperinflation last month, a lot of people said that the risk of sustained inflation wasn't huge because the velocity of money was at all-time lows. Now, in fairness, this is half correct. So are the doom and gloom economists wrong? Well. The velocity of money is a measure of how fast money changes hands, normally measured on a quarterly basis. If, for example, you spend a dollar at a local convenience store and then that dollar gets given to an employee of that store who in turn spends it on buying an iced tea from a vending machine, then the velocity of money would be 2 for this quarter. Now, this in turn means that we can actually work out GDP using this measure. GDP simply equals the money supply multiplied by the velocity of money. And if we wanted to get really technical, we could work out real GDP, that is GDP adjusted for inflation, by putting the whole right-hand side of this equation over the inflation rate plus 1. I'm sorry to bring maths into this, but don't worry, it's actually pretty simple and you'll see why soon. Now, here is the thing. The velocity of money normally hovers around 1.5 to 2 transactions a quarter in the USA. It has been trending down in recent years, but after the fallout of the coronavirus, it fell off a cliff. Now this was caused by two things. For starters, we've all seen the money printer memes. 
more cash in circulation meant the transactions as a portion of this increased pool of cash was naturally lower. Increase the denominator, the result gets smaller. But what's more is that as we saw earlier, people are spending less money, either out of fear or lack of opportunity or lack of ability to get outside and spend up. People are just sitting on their piles of cash. Now of course, this won't last forever. The money supply won't decrease, but people will eventually go out and spend it. So let's map out what happens with that. Let's take our equation here again. If the velocity of money is to bounce back to a somewhat normal level, let's say increasing from 1 average transaction a quarter to 1.5 average transactions a quarter, that would mean either real GDP would have to increase by 50%, the money supply would need to contract by 33%, or indeed inflation would need to increase by 50%. Now ask yourself, what do you think is most likely to happen? Now if you don't like mass, think of it like this. Imagine the economy is a balloon. The air inside that balloon is the money supply and the balloon bursting represents hyperinflation Armageddon. Now you can pump a lot of air into this balloon and eventually it will burst. But if the air molecules aren't moving around very fast in there, you'd find that you have to put a lot more air in there than you might expect. On the other hand, if you increase the velocity of the air particles in this balloon, you will find that the air expands, eventually bursting the balloon even if no more air was actually added. Or worst case scenario, let's say you pump your balloon full of air while it's really cold and then wait until it heats up. Yeah, it's gonna pop. Don't believe me? Well, it's like a million degrees in America at the moment, so go and try it out for yourself while I enjoy winter down here in Sydney. Economists are worried that we are pumping the economy full of cold money at the moment, but as things heat up again and those particles of money start moving around, we might have a problem that we are ill-equipped to handle. Am I being overly pessimistic here? Well, probably. Nobody can predict the future, least of all people on the internet, or economists, or worst of all economists on the internet. Look, hopefully it will be some combination of all three of these factors and Hopefully it will happen very slowly. 50% inflation in 2 years is devastating. 50% inflation over 20 years is perfectly fine. But in the meantime, we need to come to terms with the fact that we are sitting on top of a lot of dry powder at the moment. And the thing about dry powder is that if you're not careful with it, it has a tendency to blow up in your face. This video was made possible thanks to our new course on Skillshare. Thanks to Skillshare, you can master any and every skill you can possibly think of, including, yes, the Australian accent. In my course, I'll teach you how to properly say g'day, as well as what not to say. After you're up to speed with the basics, you'll also learn the meaning of secret code words unbeknownst to those outside of our island tribe, like brekkie, Queensland safety boots, mackers, and much more. Be one of the first 1000 Economics Explained fans to sign up using the link in the video description below to claim your completely free trial of Skillshare Premium today. After your trial, it's just 10 bucks a month with an annual plan. As always, thanks for watching mate. Bye.